and good day, don't you know? Uh, you're probably uh, thinking you're tuned into the wrong uh, podcast here, but no, this is indeed the Wit and Whiskey cast. Uh, I am your host, uh, Marcus City Jr., coming to you from the wonderful Great White North. Uh, always here with my co-host with the uh, most, and when I say most, I mean the most Tim Hortons, don't you know? Uh, DJ Gagnon. Say hello, DJ. Oh, yes, sonny boy. It's uh, great to be on again. Yes, I just come off the circuit, and I'm very happy to be here. Well, yeah, we're glad, glad to have you there, Agnes. You know, we bring it in. Right now, the three listeners that we have remaining are probably wondering what in the bloody hell is going on here. And the simple answer to that, folks, is it's season two, episode three, character creation and whiskey. We're going to be talking about how you go about making characters for your favorite tabletop role-playing games, whatever they may be. And uh, just to give you a little bit of a hint that, you know, voices kind of are a big part of it, at least when we play anyway. It is, yeah. We definitely role-play. Yeah, we're not really, uh, how you say, combat-oriented when we play role-playing games. <laughs> no. I, you would think, after hearing us uh, after, for an entire season at this point, that we'd be murder hobos, but you couldn't be further from the truth. To be fair, in any type of video game, it's we're true. murder hobos. Uh, but the minute the dice come out and the pen goes to paper, uh, we take on an entirely different persona. And so that's what we're going to talk to you about today, uh, what goes through our mind when we're creating a character, and what you should do if you're creating a character. Maybe you're new to the RPG scene, or maybe you're a seasoned vet and you're just looking for a new idea, something to play around with. That is what we're going to do today. Uh, But before we get into the nitty-gritty, DJ, what'd you do this week? Uh, I mean, we got to be back together playing some D&D this week, uh, and we got halfway through a single battle, so... That was pretty badass. We also, uh, and by we, I mean me, gave away the burritos of doom. <laughs> yeah. That we don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah, those those damn bur- burritos. We may have created a super zombie, folks. We don't know what happened. Yeah, it's a little scary. Uh, pray for our characters. Yeah. They need it. But other than that, uh, getting some stuff done in the house... Uh, I just got the taping done in the office today, which is... Uh, uh, I was a little bit late today jumping out of the shower because I was just covered in dust. I gotta say, I don't mind doing drywall and short bursts. I really hate doing the, the mudding and taping on ceilings because I've never gotten it to come out right. <laughs> no, you always get little bumps, you get little this. That's why you just you make a design and you say it's supposed to be uneven and you say it's supposed to be art. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm probably going to throw glow-in-the-dark stars up there and call it good. Oh, I've done that. Yeah, that that works. But other than that, uh, you know, got played some video games. We uh, we finished our marathon of the Harry Potter movies, so that was pretty fun. Um, and uh, we're just kind of slowly making our way through our Disney back catalog because we. I, I am a Disney fiend, and uh, Holly did not grow up watching Disney movies, so there's uh, there's a backlog we've been making our way through in the last ten years, and uh, you know, we've, we've gotten pretty far. I like to think that Annie and I are the quintessential odd couple, but you and Holly have a run for your money, too. You're, you're pretty much the yin and the yang. Yeah, it works pretty well. Uh, she giggles, and I don't groan, and it's all good. <laughs> but how about you, buddy? What, what you been up to? Uh, well, as you said, we were able to get together for a little D&D, which is, you know, just wonderful. Uh, did some work stuff, got some things filmed, uh, 
because of course, well, as as you listen to this, once this launches, we will be four days into African American History Month. So uh, we'll film some content for that to put up on uh, the Works YouTube channel and website and things. So that's going to be very cool. Uh, also wrote an interesting blog post about a local abolitionist who I think he's my new personal hero now. Yeah. Well, you know, he, he was an abolitionist before the Civil War. You had the Fugitive Slave Act. He was uh, arrested and taken to federal court in Philadelphia for violating said Fugitive Slave Act pled guilty, but aside from his guilty plea, they had no real evidence, so the judge had to let him go. And even though they were in Philadelphia, and even though the judge uh, was a Pennsylvania man, he was strongly pro-slavery, and he said to uh, this abolitionist, if I ever see you in court again, uh, you'll hang. I don't care what, I'll just trump up some charge or whatever, and I make sure you get killed. So fast forward three years, uh, said abolitionist is involved in a uh, case for the Fugitive Slave Act that goes before the United States Supreme Court. And wouldn't you know that this Judge Greer, in this three years, has been promoted to the United States Supreme Court. Wow. So the abolitionist, a man by the name of Gildersleeve, basically walks into the U.S. Supreme Court, the you know biggest court in the land, if not the world at that time, uh, looks Judge Greer in the eye, throws out his arms, and basically says, here I am, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> so he's kind of my new hero now. And I spent a good portion of the week just you know, reading contemporary newspaper articles and journal entries and things uh, from the 1850s about him. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, of course, you know, yesterday and uh, early into today was 24 hours at Daytona. Uh, despite all of GM's resources, Cadillac couldn't do it. So, spoiler alert, you know, four days later, if you still haven't seen the results, uh, General Motors sent three or five, I forget how many, of their new brand spanking new Cadillac prototypes with all their factory drivers, and they lost to the mighty Acura. But, you know, hey, Acura was first, Cadillac was second, and Mazda was third. So some good parody there after 24 hours. You never know what's going to happen in endurance racing. And then uh, tonight is the Royal Rumble, for those of you that are into wrestling, or even those of you that aren't. The Royal Rumble is kind of like the Super Bowl. Even people that aren't really into it will watch the Royal Rumble. It's kind of a fun little gimmick. So it's a good weekend this weekend. It's currently snowing like a son of a bitch at my house. Uh, we're supposed to get about two feet of snow between now and Tuesday morning. I'm not looking forward to it. But, hey, I got a new snowblower, so tomorrow morning we're going to fire that mother up. Yeah, my, my snowblower has been purring lately. Uh, when I first got it, I couldn't actually pull start it. And like a few years of service and some good stable in the fuel lines have, uh, have made that thing just purr. I love it. I don't work on engines at all, um, but mm -hmm. I, I'm always happy when I my one giant winter device is working. <laughs> I mean, they really are worth their weight in gold. Mm -hmm. A buddy of mine actually went out and got one of those... Uh, it's like it's got like hovercraft controls, and it's got tank treads. Those are a lot of fun. Yeah, it looks amazing. I, I'm I'm a little bit jealous, but mine does just fine. When I was living in Massachusetts, my uncle had a absolutely giant snow thrower. It actually had the engine from a John Deere riding lawnmower on it, and it had something like five five or six forward speeds, three reverse speeds. 
But what used to be a lot of fun was it had these two pegs in the back. So once you got it rolling, you could actually jump up and stand on it almost like a skid steer and just go cruising down the street, just throwing feet and feet of snow in front of you as you went. That's amazing. I love that. So, all right, moving right along. What are you drinking this week, buddy? Uh, so I went to the store this week, and I picked up a couple of whiskeys uh, that I can in review over the next, uh, next, you know, this episode, next episode. But I just, I couldn't resist this one, and I was really intrigued, and I picked up Jameson Cold Brew. Okay, all right. Yeah, um, because I love a good Irish coffee, and I love Jameson. I, I mean, Jameson's my go-to. And I was like, I, I got to try this, right? I love coffee. I love Irish coffee. I love Irish whiskey. It, it just seems like the perfect combo. They recommend serving it chilled. They, they have like uh, a, a bunch of cocktails on their website, by the way. So if you like um, coffee and you like Jameson, go check out their cocktails. They get a whole bunch of stuff with, uh, you can make like a hot chocolate with Jameson cold brew. You can make a, a martini with it. And I mean, they've just got Jameson cold brew and cola. <laughs> I mean, pretty pretty good stuff, right? Yeah. But I'm taking it to the heretical note here because I also picked up a Starbucks creamer that is like caramel dolce something or other. So I tried the whiskey without it. It's very good. It's nutty. It's good. It, it smells a bit like dark chocolate. Tastes like whiskey and coffee. You know, it's exactly what you would want out of this. But I am now pouring some creamer into it because I just want to see if it what it tastes like. That grinding noise you hear, ladies and gentlemen, don't adjust your track. That is just my teeth as I just, you know, bite through my lower lip at the sacrilege that is occurring on the other end of our line here. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it tastes like I'm being a basic bitch. I love it. It's very good, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, yeah, Jameson Cold Brew. Uh, I think the bottle was like 25 bucks or something like that. Like, it, it was not expensive at all. So I highly recommend it uh, for you Irish coffee lovers. Um, and if you don't want to commit uh, a terrible sin, uh, feel free to not put creamer in it. But uh, it is very good. And uh, the recipe's out there. I mean, Jameson and Cola sounds pretty great. So I'll be grabbing a Coke when I go to the store next time. What about you, buddy? Well, this week I am uh, reviewing Tin Cup. Now Ooh, I saw that at the store, too. Tin Cup is interesting in that it brands itself as a quote-unquote American, which uh, you've reviewed a few of those already, DJ, mm -hmm. which are basically scotches that, uh, <clears throat> you know, they're, they're not made with scotch water, so they can't call them a scotch, so they call them an American. Yeah. Well... The problem is Tin Cup isn't actually a scotch. It's a bourbon. And so I was a little confused by this, so I did some online research. And if you basically Google any review of Tin Cup, they all start off the same way. Why in the hell is this listed as an American and not as a scotch? Or not as a bourbon, rather. And the reason for that is they don't want to compete with other bourbons. And honestly, after drinking it, I can see why. Uh... It's, so we'll, we'll give you the basic rundown. It's 42% uh, ABV. It, I bought a uh, pint, so it was around $18 for a pint. I believe it's somewhere around $30 for a fifth, if that's what you prefer. Uh, and it's actually bottled by Proximo Spirits, who reviewed some of their products uh, beforehand. 
at their Stranahan facility. Now, Stranahan is sort of a more upmarket bourbon. Uh, neither one of us have reviewed that yet. I haven't even checked to see if I can get that in Pennsylvania. I've heard of it before, but I don't know if I can actually buy it here or not. And uh, the good is it's you know a nice mix. It's a rye-heavy bourbon, which, of course, I'm more inclined to enjoy. Uh, they claim that it's 32% rye. I think it's a little bit heavier than that. At least the rye stands out a little bit more to me than that. Uh, and it has a light color to it. And overall, that's just sort of the feel. It's, it's very light at the beginning. You get a little spice. You taste the rye. And then it sort of mellows out at the end, sort of way into nothing. Uh, it's a wonderful change of pace from last week with Cooper's, which was just sugar, more sugar, and then, hey, here's some more sugar to end it with. <laughs> um, this actually tastes like a whiskey. The problem, though, is uh, their last step, if you go on their website, and they're very proud of this, much like uh, the Coors Company, they're very proud of the fact that they add some, quote-unquote, Rocky Mountain water to the uh, bottle at the very end, to the barrel. And in fact, they actually recommend on the bottle that you cut it again with straight spring water. It's so bloody weak to begin with because it's already been watered down. Uh, why would you put more water in it? Why would you put ice in it? Um, really this thought is you were going to say Rocky Mo Mountain Oyster, buddy, and that was going to have to be a whole <laughs> other conversation. Well, we could do a delicacies episode later Ooh. on. That could be fun. Nope. Uh, uh, but no, they, they say Rocky Mountain Water. So you have Coors Light and you have Tin Cup, two different price points, two different marketing perspectives, uh, but they're both advertising, uh, you know, Colorado River. I'm sure Colorado is a wonderful place to be. I'm sure it's beautiful. I've seen photographs. I've seen videos. It ain't a selling point to me that there's river water, no matter how clean, in my whiskey. I understand that there's spring water, river water, and every whiskey that's ever been made. You need water. Mm -hmm. That's not an advertising point. I don't, I mean, you know, I know weed's legal up there. That might have something to do with it. I don't know. I mean, the water is like pre-distillation though, right? Like you're not adding water to the barrel while aging generally, right? I believe so. But to be honest, the website doesn't really specify. I mean, you would almost have to, but it doesn't really go into it. It just, you know, it's more focused on the fact that it's Colorado spring water. Um, that being said, this is another good starter whiskey. I mean, I, I would, I don't know if I would necessarily buy it again, but I don't hate it the way I hated the Coopers last week. And this might be something for someone who's never really had a bourbon before. Uh, this might be something, uh, especially for a mixed drink, if you don't want to make it too strong, you could throw it in there because what the hell, they tell you to cut it anyway. Uh, so if I was giving this a rating C+, plus, you know, maybe a solid 2.75 to 3 stars out of 5, something along those lines, uh, it's certainly not terrible, but it's certainly not something that I'm in a hurry to recommend. Is it worthy of the Infinity Bottle? Uh, I don't know. Jury's still out. TBA. <laughs> That's fair. TB, TBA on that. All right, so that's that. And now we move on to the piece de resistance. Character creation. <laughs> so, DJ, you are the one with far more uh, game master experience than I. Do you want to give just the nut and bolts of, you know, 
the physical how you go about creating a general character, and then we'll get into our specific characters. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I have DM'd in the past. I hope to DM again this year, uh, kind of picking up my the game I was running again. But um, a really interesting part about character creation, and uh, sideline here, in case you were curious, this is this is the first in a series of D and D episodes. So uh, if you don't like this one, uh, we'll just try to tell you when these are coming so that you can skip them. But uh, well, uh, stick around because they're gonna get buck wild. I don't want to interrupt you here, but I just feel like this story needs to be told. Uh, for the photo that is going on the website and Facebook and everything, which by this point you will have seen if you uh, downloaded the episode, I, of course, took my copy of the player's handbook, and uh, the wife said, where are you going with that? And I said, oh, I need it for today for recording. She goes, you're recording about D&D? Don't you, don't you have an online thing later tonight? You don't have enough time. Because <laughs> <laughs> she, she knows how we are. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. I, th- this will be fairly long-winded, so I'll try to keep the DM perspective short here. Generally, uh, character creation is the first thing that happens when you get into a, a, a game, whether it's D&D, a Powered by the Apocalypse game, uh, whether it's you know uh, Numenera or a- any of the other tabletop RPG games. The first thing you're going to do is character creation, and it's generally session... It's what's called session zero, Right? You all get together, whether it's virtually or in person. You uh, pile the ceremonial pile of Doritos uh, in the center of the table. <laughs> you sprinkle them with the holy Mountain Dew, and then you get down to business. And the idea of cre- character creation is you you are inhabiting a character to play in this world. And the really interesting part of this is that you and this character have kind of a quasi... Uh, you have, like, this weird meta relationship, right? Like, there are things throughout playing a tabletop RPG that you will figure out, and sometimes it's appropriate for your character to know, but sometimes it's not. So you guys have this kind of quasi-meta relationship. And the first thing to remember about character creation is that uh, that character is a part of you. It, it, it represents something of you. It, it always has to kind of come from a personal place, right? Even if you're playing a character that's wildly different than your your situation, it, you, you generally build a character off of something inside of you. So when I build characters, I generally will pick an aspect of my personality and I'll spin it off into a, you know, a completely different entity. And so there's, there's the role-play er- elements of character creation. We'll talk a little bit about, like, bonds and flaws and things like that later. Uh, but every system has some sort of flavor prompts for you uh, when you go to create a character. Like, um, you'll, you'll often hear the idea of alignments getting referenced. And uh, some people love alignments, some people don't. It does kind of give you a quick and easy way right at the beginning to denote what kind of character you're going to play. And in that session zero, everybody at the table creates their character, and you get to know the world that you're going into. And we're not going to talk about world creation today, because that's its own thing. Um, God, we could do two hours just on that. Yeah, yeah, it's world creation is a lot. Um, but with character creation, uh, I... 
I personally am a really big fan of representative characters in everything that I do, right? So uh, I'm going to talk about a couple of characters today. Uh, two of them are female, and I am gender fluid. I am. I don't consider myself female whatsoever. I was not assigned female at birth, so uh, that's not exactly in my wheelhouse. Um, but Session Zero is really interesting. Uh, Mark, do you want to like share any any tidbits from Session Zeros you've had in the past? Well, just sort of to piggyback off what you said, you know, you said you take a uh, aspect of your personality and you sort of run with it. Uh, you know, as we've beaten to death here over the last you know however many episodes, we uh, I am a historian by trade, so. I try to take some aspect of some historical background, some historical time period, and sort of play with that and try to fit that into a realm. And much like we discussed uh, two weeks ago in our adult fandom, or was it last week? Whenever we did adult fandom. Uh, <laughs> two weeks you ago. Were, two weeks ago. We were, we were talking about Magic the Gathering, uh, and I often said, you know, I try to find one card and, you know, sort of play with that. Well, uh, for regardless of the tabletop game, I try to find one mechanic or one trait or, uh, you know, one ability. And I'm going to build a character around that and then try to run with it. Oftentimes it works. Oftentimes it doesn't. Um, I think it works for me a little bit better in that, you know, as we said at the top, I personally don't give a shit about combat. I know yeah. I should. I know I should. I know the party wants me to, like in general, in character, in universe. But I don't give a fuck about combat. <laughs> I'm here to role play, so uh, that allows me to get a little weird with it, a little crazy with it. And hey, if I die, I die. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Here I, we go. I, I'm there with Mark. I enjoy combat in that combat to me is is a puzzle to figure out. But honestly, I'd be more than happy to replace combat with like dungeon puzzles. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, combat is fun um, with the way we mix it up. Combat is fun, you know, for a day. I mean, after three, four, five weeks in a row of role play, you know, it's good to have a good battle, get your sword dirty. But that is not what I'm there for. That is not, you know, the filet mignon on the menu, in my opinion. I mean, I know a lot of people that enjoy combat, you know, they, they make spreadsheets, they get their dice ready, they have it all down to a science, you know, first yeah, turn I do this, second turn I do this. Um, shout out, Nick, if you're listening. We love you, buddy. Uh, but, you know, uh, and that's fine. And those people are important because they keep the party alive. Yeah. But to me, that is sort of the asparagus on the side. And, and I love asparagus. But to me, that's the side dish. That's not the main course. I, I want to role play. Yeah. Yeah. They, the whole concept, there's this, like, war in tabletop RPGs between, like, people who enjoy combat more, people who enjoy RPing. And... Uh, I, I've had some friends tell me that they, they have a hard time RPing and, and they've never really gotten into it. I've had some friends tell me that they really prefer PvP to my horror. Um, but to be fair, we're not going to yuck any yums here. If you're a combat uh, you know, tabletop fan, that's totally cool. Like, I feel like that's most of the tabletop games I've been in until very recently, so... I mean, I think that's most in general. I've been lucky that even going back to high school, even going back to junior high, you know, playing third edition and then 3-5 D&D, I've always been in really heavy 
role play parties, but I know that's the exception. That's not the rule. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because, uh, it's hard to inhabit a character that's not you, right? Like it's, you know, until you've gotten some experience with it, it's hard to like make decisions on behalf of somebody else who maybe doesn't have the same motivations you do. And that kind of brings us back to the idea of character creation because uh, when you're doing character creation, uh, there's a lot of stats, right? We'll talk about some of the stats. Um, but, it, you know, if you were to go old school, school like GURPS systems, it's very oh much God. like... It, you're it, showing your age, I DJ. Am. But, uh, you know, if you think about GURPS or, you you know, another another way to think about GURPS is a little bit more modern. It's like the Fallout system, right? Like GURPS, yeah. Fallout. Yeah. It's the special system. Um, stats are are just a piece of character creation. They generally go hand in hand with uh, racial bonuses and class bonuses. And, and there's all sorts of math involved. But there's another really big part of it, which is like coming up with your backstory coming up with, like, what what's your character's motivation for being on an adventure? Uh, I would say easily 90% of tabletop RPG characters have some sort of tragic background because, uh, and I, I don't remember who said it, but I really enjoy the, the quote, which is, uh, people with happy upbringings rarely leave their homes to go on adventures. It's true. And uh, I... I I really enjoy that t- that that quote. And the first time my wife ever played D anD D, she completely broke that entire statement. Uh, her character's family is all still alive and happily running uh, a, a dwarven commune. She just left because she got bored of the family business and wanted to join the army. <laughs> so uh, you know, it, the, it, there's definitely some some tropes, and and it's it's fun to break those tropes. Um, but background story is a really big thing. I think we can kind of start to introduce our characters here when we talk about background story, uh, background stories. But if you, if you think about a character's background, uh, I find it, I I find some people like they'll spend days and days and days writing pages and pages and pages on their, their backstory. And I used to do that a lot and that's not necessarily wrong, but I have found that that can be really restrictive as well. I don't know if you feel the same way, Mark, but... Well, this is actually a good segue into how we got our current version of Lefty. Mm. So if I may sort of sidetrack us here... Please do. uh, You know, the first character that I'm going to discuss with you is Sir Leftholdis Romante. And basically, originally, Earth-1, as we call him, quote-unquote, Lefty, was based off of the original crusading knight, Letholdus. L-E-T-H-O-L-D-U-S. Of course, it's a historical figure. Yes, and uh, Sir Letholdus was, uh, according to apocryphal lore the first man over the walls of Jerusalem during the First Crusade. And I was doing research into the Crusades at the time. I knew we were going to start playing D&D on the regular. I knew I wanted to play a sword and board fighter or sword and shield, uh, for those of you not up on the parlance. And so literally the entirety of my thought process was 
What if Let Holdis was left-handed? We get Sir <laughs> Left Holdis. That's so dumb, and I love it. That was the entirety of his backstory. He was equipped with a rapier and a shield, and then very quickly, due to uh, not his own traits, but my own traits at the time, he developed a fanatical racism against tabaxis and kajits, just due to some of the dynamics in world with the DM and different things. And that was it. Uh, That campaign lasted a month or so, and then due to all different sort of things ended, we went into the string of campaigns that we're currently in now that are all interconnected. And I said, you know, I never really got to play with Lefty. Can I change him up a little bit? And, you know, he'll be a different character, but he'll be the same character, yada, yada, yada. And AJ said, yes, he created his whole multiverse that we're currently playing in. And so Earth 2 Lefty became a thing. So he ditched the shield, began dual wielding, he adopted a posh aristocratic accent, which isn't really English. It sort of flies the coop because, you know, I've learned how to speak from the BBC, not from anything in particular. Uh, and he created this interesting backstory uh, that was basically, what if World War I had happened, but during medieval times? You know, so you have trench warfare and you have the interconnected alliance system and you have the central powers and the allied powers, but it all takes place in 1054 instead of 1915. And I actually wrote page upon page upon page of backstory for Lefty. And it actually was sort of therapeutic for me. Because at the time, I was sort of in a dark place. And Wilhelm, who was the main villain eventually of uh, Lefty's story and of part of our campaign, was actually based on a real person. I've since reconciled with the real (laughs) Wilhelm. And I look back on the original story that I wrote for Sir Leftholders, and I was like, wow, I'm really petty. (laughs) <laughs> which I kn- which I knew, <laughs> but sitting down and reading it, uh, I think I would have uh, written him a totally different way if it was today. So I don't know if that's good or that's bad, but we wouldn't have got the character that we played for the better part of two years every week um, that for all his tropes, for all his foibles, we've kind of liked overall. And uh, oh, I loved Lefty. Yeah, don't <laughs> let Mark fool you. Lefty was fantastic. He was a curmudgeonly old bastard, but I, my character and his got along very well. Well, here's the thing for good or for bad, Lefty is not the character that I played the most of. That was my original uh, AD&D into 3.0 and then into 3.5 character, Lord Baron Ugg, who was a barbarian. Um, but I played him for years and years and years. So Lefty wasn't the character that I played the most. But Lefty, without a doubt, is the character that I became the most attached to. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, um, when AJ and I sat down and started talking about retiring Lefty, you know, doing this and that, he said, you know, there's a few mechanics here that it may kill him, it may do this and that. I had to take time and sort of sit and come to terms with it. 
almost as if uh, he was a real person, which sounds incredibly stupid on the face of it. Oh, no. That's the truth. Um, You know, uh, AJ was sort of feeding me breadcrumbs and then sometimes out and out telling me these are the choices that are going to come up because I would have to really sit and think, what would he do? I mean, I know what I would do as a person, but, you know, what would this character do with this backstory and this world building and, you know, three years and just dozens and dozens of pages? I mean, between AJ's notes and my notes, you probably could publish a book just on Lefty and McCarnia and everything that was going on. So, you know, it really was like, well, I have to sit down and I have to think about this. And uh, it was kind of a big deal, which... Uh, and then at the end, you know, you went through, well, what do they call it? The six phases of grief, five phases of grief. Oh, yeah. You know, then at the end, I got to acceptance, and it was like, all right, let's do this. And that's where we are now. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of... See, here's the, here's the craziest part. Um, I don't actually have the character sheet for my, the character that I've played. I, I played forever. Um, I don't remember what happened to it. I think it was on a Dropbox somewhere that somebody probably deleted and it wasn't, you know. You sweet summer child. Yeah. I have the character sheet for Lord Baronug and guess what? It's a character sheet. Yeah, see we, uh, so when I first started playing, I think the first game was my, a buddy of mine decided to do a homebrew. It was like a zombie apocalypse. And I literally, uh, have you ever read the Millennium Trilogy by Stieg Larsson? I have. Uh, I literally made Elizabeth Salander. I'm okay with this. Yeah, so I made like an asocial hacker girl. And uh, I was so bad, like, you know, Jimmy's first character, I was so bad at rolling that uh, he gave, the DM gave me like five chances to stop uh, a nuclear reactor from melting down, and I rolled five ones in a row and blew up an aircraft character that, carrier that was meant to be our base of operations for the rest of the campaign. Well done. Yeah. So uh, she didn't last much longer. Um, so I don't, like, I think the first three or four D- D&D type, well, there, there were tabletop characters, I don't have the the character sheets for them anymore. I actually don't even remember what I named my original character. Uh, Because I played a ranger in Pathfinder for three solid years. Uh, Good old Pathfinder. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I'm right there with you. Rabbit is definitely the character that I am the most attached to. And I feel like this is a really good segue for us to start kind of talking about how we designed... Uh, some of our characters a little bit more. You've kind of given us an RP background of how you design Lefty. So, Rabbit. Yeah, take us to Rabbit. My boy. (laughs) So, Rabbit, uh, did I ever tell you this is the second version of Rabbit I've played? You've mentioned it to me, but you've never actually given me the full story. All right, so there is this absolutely fantastic book, uh, and and I'll find a way to share it with, uh, with people online. Uh, but there's this book of seven one-shot games called The Seven Wonders. And each one posits a different question. And the first time I ever played with uh, my friends Ruth, Jess, and Birdie was in my basement. They came over and stayed with us for a long weekend. And 
Holly and I joined this little RP game, and we played this game called Before the Storm. And the idea of Before the Storm, it, it posited the question, what do companions talk about the night before their final battle? And it, it, I mean, the games are all like that, right? Like one of the, I think one of the prompts is what happens to the Narnia kids when they return to the real world. Like they, they're all just utterly fascinating, and the games last for like four hours, and then they're done. So when we played before the storm, I, I, I mean, it, it was pretty grim, dark. The whole setting was that uh, the world had been overtaken by the the these like storm forged creatures and they were amassing at the gates and we they were going to attack at dawn and we were in the citadel of the last remaining free city and the the game posits that you were all basically level 20 epic level characters and that uh you none of you can sleep that night it's the night before the final battle none of you can sleep and so the the game has beats and in each beat you're all conversing amongst yourselves and it depending on how it works you get different like the there's no dice it's all based on a a deck of 52 playing cards and you i think like one color is good and one color is bad i think red is good and black is bad and depending on the results of those conversations and those beats you kind of trade cards and draw cards around so you end up with a hand at the end and then based on certain points you've acquired, you can force people to trade cards with you in order to uh, explain something that happens in the final battle. And so I made this little kid who was part of the second generation of heroes, and his parents died in the first wave of trying to fight off the storm forged. And then his parents' companions came back and adopted him and like it was grimdark as hell like rabbit had been handicapped from birth and didn't have the use of his legs and his parents Jesus Christ. it was rough uh rabbit had um his parents had made him a set of like magitech legs so that he could get around but because of his own quirks and because of some glitches in the legs Whenever he got excited, he would bounce up and down, and he had uh, he had um, cowlicks that looked like bunny ears. So like he had a name, but everybody just referred to him as Rabbit. And he, but he was much like the character you know you know. He was uh, fiercely optimistic and hopeful, and uh, hero worshipped everybody who was older than him. And in the final battle. Uh, he was controlling a uh, a whole set of like spider mechs that were like fighting in this war, and he had plugged himself into one, and he was attempting to sacrifice himself to keep his adopted parents alive, and uh, they just kept spending their points on making sure Rabbit lived. God damn it. <laughs> so, like, at one point, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, my buddy Sarah, who's playing the 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 adopted father, he um, retconned that a blessing he had placed in the spider mech crippled it. 
So as I was rushing out to shield him, he snapped his fingers and the spider mech like broke. So I couldn't rush out and I they, they like saved me by sacrificing themselves. So it was like grimdark and we had to like do an epilogue of like what happened and Rabbit was a much more somber fellow, but he, you know, save he helped save so many people and it's it, at some point I want to play something Seven Wonders with you guys because they're just so good. Uh, but by the end of it, uh, like Holly had never RP'd before and she ha- she didn't really know what was going on. But the other four of us were just sl- just quietly sobbing as we hit the end of the game. So that was yeah, I mean, God r- almighty. Yeah, that was Rabbit Mark one. So AJ was like, hey, everybody else is playing in this RPG. We're about to finish book one. Do you want to join? I was like, hell Yeah. So I was like, I want to make Rabbit. And he's like, I don't know who that is, but okay. <laughs> Which, th- that is all you need to know about our DMAJ right there. Literally, if I had a dollar for every time he basically told me some variation of that sentence, mm-hmm. I'd be rich enough that I could just live on a beach somewhere. Yep. And there's, um, the, I, I wrote a loose, like, Faerun version of Rabbit's backstory that wasn't quite as tragic. And uh, I didn't really give a lot of it to AJ until we hit the beginning of this latest book. So all of book two, AJ only had some little loose beats. Uh, because it just never came up, right? Like, you guys rescued Rabbit, and then we were just on an adventure to rescue Macarnia. There was no time for backstory. Well, there was plenty of time for Malk, though. Get out. Um, <laughs> so when I designed Rabbit, I sat down, and I really like characters that are like creative and inventors um i i don't know if uh our fans have ever read the name of the wind by patrick rothfuss but the main character of the name of the wind uh takes classes uh at this like magic college and he he trains under what's called an arcanist and this arcanist is obsessed with making an ever-burning lamp. And it's this world of, like, myth and mysticism and magic. And it's all about, like, magic runes and stuff. I'm like, that's amazing. So when I came, when I came into to AJ's game, he was like, hey, uh, what do you want Rabbit to be? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe a wizard. And just as I said that, I was researching classes and stuff. And for anybody who's... Uh, not quite as familiar with D&D as Mark and I might be, there is this, uh, there's like a, a D&D beta called Unearthed Arcana, and it's where uh, Wizards of the Coast goes to introduce some functionality that may or may not make it into the end game. So they had just put out a couple of n- potential new classes and one of them was called the Artificer. And I was like, yes, I want Rabbit to be that. And Artificer had like just come out like six months before when we started playing. So uh, like it wasn't official. The rules were still constantly changing. And I made Rabbit an Artificer. And spe- specifically, I chose a subclass of Alchemist, which gets into kind of another part of character creation, which is uh, there might be 10 classes in a game but there's generally like prestige classes, like something where you can kind of combine two classes later, or there's 
specialities, right? So, uh, uh, what it, what was uh, Lefty? What was his special specialty? Lefty was a battle master mm-hmm. uh, because in his backstory, you know, he went to the military academy. He was a general. So he unlocked uh, maneuvers, which basically just allowed him. And the fun part with the maneuver set is pretty much any way you want to play a fighter, um, which is just basically your basic soldier in D&D, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Um, but pretty much any way you want to play a fighter, you can. And so I envisioned him as this incredible tactician, this chess master. So basically all of his maneuvers were support. They allowed repositioning without attacks of opportunity. They allowed healing. They allowed uh, secondary and third attacks. Uh, if he had leveled up one more time, so basically if he, we were playing him now, uh, the next uh, attack was actually going to aggro. Basically, yeah. he, he would draw away heat from everyone else. So it's like that, goading strike or something like that? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I, yeah, I've, I've had some DM experience. <laughs> it's a it's a really neat concept. I mean, some of I bought the uh, cards at uh, PAX Unplugged a few years ago with all the maneuvers, and some of them really make you sit back and go, "Huh, yeah, all right, I could work with this." Yeah, yeah. And the great thing about specifically Fifth Edition D and D is that they moved away from Fourth Edition, where everybody was basically a wizard. Yeah, it was much we, more. We, we don't we don't talk. About we don't need edition. to talk about fourth edition. I know some people really like fourth edition, and I actually, you know, I got to give props to fourth edition for making D and D accessible to the WoW crowd because I don't think without the way that fourth edition was formulated at the time that it was formulated, I I don't know that D and D would have survived all the way from three five to fifth. So I I give props to fourth for recognizing that there was a way to get more people into it. But I, de- I am a 5th edition guy. Um, and the nice thing about 5th edition is that each class plays completely differently. Like, it's yes. not like a... Uh, you know, if you play the Fable game video games long enough, you will become a master in all three categories. So there's no real point to branch off. But in 5th edition, branching is very welcome. Like... I play Rabbit, who is an alchemist, completely different than Lefty is played by Mark as a battle master, right? Like, I'm not on the front lines. I'm casting spells in the back. At night, when everybody else is sleeping, I'm, I'm brewing potions. Like, there's, there's shit that I do in the game that Mark can't with his characters because his stats and his abilities don't lend themselves to it. And it provides some really interesting role-playing opportunities. Exactly, to the point where it wasn't originally in his character creation, but just the way it evolved and the way we role-played it. Lefty didn't believe in magic. Yeah. He was surrounded by it. He was dating and eventually married a sorceress. Yep. But he didn't believe in anything he saw in front of him. I mean, his protege literally healed him with with potions every other minute, so... Yes. No, it was clearly herbs or medicinal or something. He did not believe in magic because he had no magical ability whatsoever. Even if I had wanted to play him as a magic user, I physically couldn't with his current build. Mm. And I think the most... I think the most interesting part about character creation is how your character evolves 
through play. So if you're ever contemplating creating a character for a tabletop RPG, I encourage you not to lock yourself into a 20-page backstory. Not because... I mean, if you're the kind of person who can do that and still play flexibly, I mean, by all means. But I remember the few times I created, you know, four or five page backstories. Uh, I, I was I felt restricted by it after a while because your character evolves through play. Play yes. informs who your character is going to be. I mean, Lefty, the the shit with breakfast that was never part <laughs> of Rabbit. No, I mean, even the whole shit, and it evolved naturally with where we went. You know, when I drew up Lefty and when I wrote his, I think it was six pages, six pages single-spaced in, in Microsoft's Word, if I remember correctly. I have the file mm-hmm. somewhere. He was this brilliant military tactician, and, you know, he was basically like the general Patton of the medieval era. Well, through play and through evolution and everything, he was an idiot, I, think, I mean, he. W- I think what we found is that Lefty was a tactician when it counted, but he was he was old guard. Yeah, I mean, he, the world had passed him by. Yeah, and I mean, that's the point where you could sit there and you know really try to hardcore role play as what you had originally envisioned, or if you could just say fuck it and run with it. And I was having fun, so I just said, fuck it, you know, he's this aloof, you know, old, everything was better in my day, get off my lawn type of guy. And, uh, you know, this is going to sound terrible because it's going to sound like I'm putting myself over, but I think it worked in that that was a perfect jumping off point for our friend Iggy's campaign because Iggy's character really stepped up and was like, no, you're a moron. (laughs) This is what we should be doing. I'm going to lead us to safety. And the transition from, you know, a lefty-based campaign to Iggy's character's campaign was so much more fluid because he had already basically taken over. Yeah, and, and I mean, the way that we ended up playing our characters made for some really touching things near the end there, right? Like, oh, Lefty, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to bury the lead too much here, but, like, Lefty didn't come with us. Uh, nope. Mark built a new character for, for the next part of the campaign. And so there were some really touching moments, you know. Uh, I, you know, uh, all along through the campaign I was playing in, like we all kind of jeered at Lefty for being this old dude. But when push came to shove, like Lefty nearly sacrificed himself to save this kingdom. And I mean, I remember like tearing up a little bit when Rabbit and Lefty had to like part ways at the end of that campaign. Yeah, and I mean that was the whole thing. I had never intended on making a new character. I was going to ride out Lefty, you know, it was going to be ride or die. And uh, as AJ started revealing more things about the campaign and about the story and about the way uh, all of our characters evolved, I I had to sit down and realize, like, no, he wouldn't wouldn't do this. He would, you know, go on and he would want to stay and and protect McCartney and protect the kingdom and yada, yada, yada. And that was really when it was like, well, it's not about what I want. As weird as that sounds for this it, person that exists it, only on paper. Yeah, and, and, and that's, I mean, it brings back to my original point, right? When you create a character, you are spinning off a piece of your personality into something that is at times completely alien to you, which is really interesting. And that, that's why when you get to character creation, I urge you not to worry too much and just, learn about your character as it goes. I mean, so many authors, when they write works of fiction, they talk about 
their characters taking on a life of their own. And I, I don't know anywhere that that is as true as it is in a tabletop role-playing game. Yeah. But now, now that we've talked about the heavy stuff, let's talk about what it's like creating characters in something like Creature Stalker Earth instead. <laughs> now, we've talked about the heavy RP, serious story kind of characters, but our friend AJ also carries a secondary game for us uh, that is Creature Stalker Earth TM 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 TM, um, <laughs> which is literally just us hunting monsters out of a central town, and he comes creatures. up with all of these. Oh, creature hunts, sorry. <laughs> uh, and... So we, it's kind of our D and D sandbox. We get to create whatever characters we want and uh, introduce them to uh, this place and kind of play test them. Right? AJ's literally given us a play test sandbox. So, uh, do you want to talk about Topaz? We could talk about Topaz. Um, Originally, when we started doing Creature Stalker Earth, I had come up with a cleric, Friar uh, Niccolo, who was also, he, he was originally one of my Pathfinder characters that I had modified and sort of slotted into our grand D&D multiverse that we have. And he was fun, but it was basically Lefty 2.0, but without any of the emotional weight or attachment or backstory and yada, yada, yada. So... I just sat down the one day with the player's handbook and just went looking through and said, what is the most anti-me class <laughs> I could find? Uh, because it's Creature Stalker. It literally is just our beta. We go in there and play test things and see how we like them. And so I came up with a uh, monk. And basically the whole... the. The concept of it was I wanted a prize fighter. I wanted someone that went to bars and boxed for money. Basically, think of Hugh Jackman in the very, 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 very first X-Men. Yeah. Cage fighting in that, you know, club. I and like that that's where you started because that is not where he ended. No. <laughs> and so we came up with, and by we, I mean me and the voices in my head, Someone called the Topaz Slab, who is an Earth Gensai monk, basically uh, uh, an Earth elemental, rock elemental monk. <coughs> Janasi, pushing up my glasses. Janasi, sorry. I, you know, what, what do you want? I'm white. I say Gensai. Janasi. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I, I am the most white person ever, don't you know? <laughs> and, and that was the thing. I was trying to think of a voice uh, because you don't need a voice. Full disclosure, you, you don't need to voice act. You don't need to be silly. No, and do yeah. Anything. I mean, you can uh, play your character as white, wonderbred as you want. You, yes. can, you can breathe as much life as you want. But Mark and I have a lot of fun breathing as much life as possible into our characters. Yeah. And to full disclosure, a lot of it is just selfish on, on our parts. But yeah. it's it's how we enjoy playing. And so I wanted him to, for lack of a better term, and this is not an insult to our Canadian listeners at all, but I wanted him to sound like he'd been hit in the head a lot. <laughs> and uh, simultaneously annoy everyone else that we played with. When, and I, yeah, I, his intention was to annoy all of us in well, we'll reality. Get, yeah. Well, we'll get to that. And so I was struggling with 
how to get your voice, how to get a voice for him. And, you know, our DM, AJ, had come up with this great thing. He said, you know, if you ever want to make him sound like, you know, whatever you think the character sounds like, just stand in front of a mirror and introduce yourself as the character. And that worked great for Calloway, who was my wizard, you know, because I wanted him to have like this 1920s sort of radio announcer shyster thing. So I was like, nah, this is Pete Calloway coming to you live from the Central Broadcasting Service in beautiful Hollywood, California. Yeah, and instead he came out as Canadian. Well, but I couldn't, I couldn't get it for Topaz, and I couldn't find a voice that I liked. (laughs) And I was watching The Simpsons. And I was watching the Hank Scorpio episode, and at one point Bart goes to school, and he's put in remedial classes, and there was a kid, and he only has one line in the whole episode. He looks at Bart, and he just says, I am from Canada, and they think I'm slow, eh? (laughs) And the little light bulb went on in my head. And I just said, that's it. Topaz is Canadian. And so uh, he's just this wonderful guy who just took one too many blows to the head, but he really wants to help his friends, don't you know? Don't you know? And that's just where we've gone with that. And it's kind of stuck. I mean, the other night we were playing, the wife came into the room. I have my headset on, and I'm just speaking into a computer like the world's worst voice actor. And I'm all like, well, you know, guys, I came with burritos, but the zombies wanted the burritos, so I left them over there, and now I think they're the super zombies. And she just looks at me, sighs, turns around, and walks out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't say a word. It's so good. Uh, that's, that's so different because uh, my... So we're each only talking. We, all, we both have two characters in Creature Stalker. Yes. And we switch back and forth depending on what we want in this in the current creature stock. Uh, so the character I made originally was <laughs> Agnes McDermott, who I uh, just I adore Agnes. She's uh, so I originally designed her because I had just watched the anime School Babysitters, and the head of the school in School Babysitters is this very severe, like grandmotherly woman who is not married to anybody. She runs the school. She rules it with, like, an iron fist, but she's also really nice and kind and just has enormous hair. So I'm like, I want to design this as uh, a D&D character. And then I sat down and went, okay, what is the most ridiculous class that I, I could make Agnes into? And I chose Bard, because I had never gotten a chance to play a Bard before. So uh, I, I sat there and I'm like, okay, well, I want to make this grandmotherly character. And in order to be like a really grandmotherly character, I based her a little bit on my mother-in-law who uh, retired in the last few years as, uh, from a career as a high school English teacher. I'm like, that's like a really interesting perspective to me. Like, who somebody who is uh, very proper with grammar and who is very well read? Okay, but this person who's well read and proper with grammar maybe isn't the traditional like troubadour, right? So I decided that she was a bard who had who did not have any musical talent, and therefore to cast her bardic spells, it it would all have to be like literary, right? And then I'm like, well. What does what? How do you get from English teacher to adventurer? And I'm like, oh, what if she has a circuit in this weird 
world full of creatures uh, where she does motivational speaking. And it's like, oh, and that would be really cool if she, like, had a lot of, like, aphorisms in her pocket. And I said this to AJ, and he's like, okay, but you know that means that you now need to come up with aphorisms for all of your bardic spells, right? And he has, ladies and gentlemen. So not only has he created a female grandma, Tony Robbins. Yeah. uh, It works on a lot of different levels. Yeah. So like, let's just pick a random, uh, a random spell here. Um, There is, uh, there is a spell called Phantasmal Force, which has become like weirdly Agnes's like tour de force. Uh, And, so rather than playing some notes on a flute or drumming a drum beat, she has to proclaim very loudly uh, aphorisms. So when she casts Phantasmal Force, she has to shout, some of us are so sharp we could cut ourselves. Oh, my mother never said that about me, don't you know? <laughs> she always said that if I was a box of light bulbs, I'd be a 20 water. Yeah, my, my personal favorite is when she casts the spell silence, she has to spell, children should not be seen. No, wait. Children should be seen <laughs> but not heard. I yeah. fucked it up. <laughs> yeah. she, she's a wannabe Tony Robbins. She's she not is. quite as successful. She is. Um, so, I mean, that was a lot of fun. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so we got, we've got Rabbit, we've got Lefty, we've got Topaz, we've got Agnes. And I don't, I don't want to uh, drag this too far out, but did you bring a different game system? Because we've been talking about D&D a lot. Uh, no, I have. I've, I've brought another one. I've brought Franklin. Um if you go back to our episode in season one on board games, you'll remember that I mentioned uh, Deadlands. Ooh, yes. And so uh, Franklin was a character that I played in Deadlands, Franklin Butler, <laughs> and he was uh, another little historical offshoot. Uh, I was in high school at the time. I was going through a Westerns phase. Deadlands is inherently a Westerns system. Uh, You know, we were uh, playing 1875 to 1880-ish was the setting, give or take. So uh, I named him after two, you know, historical figures. Franklin, of course. uh, John Franklin, the famous local figure here in Wilkes-Barre. Not Benjamin. And then... uh, uh, Butler was another uh, famous family around here during the Revolutionary War. Of course, so, it's historical. Of course. And he, uh, uh, Franklin Butler, was a uh, Union cavalryman, cavalry soldier. But I had never played before then in, well, I guess technically Calloway is because he's a Yontee. But since, I'd never played a truly evil character. I wouldn't even say Calloway's evil, though. Well, by, by rule, you know, if, you, if you're going by the rule, Yanti have to either be lawful or neutral evil. But no, I, I don't play him as evil, because why would he be? Yeah. Um, so I had really never played an evil character before. So I came up with a really grim, dark story for Franklin that he fought in the Indian Wars. 
uh, which, you know, was a pretty dark period in American history. I won't go into it, but just look it up. And a lot of atrocities were committed by us. Uh, and so Franklin was one of the people who committed said atrocities and was court-martialed and was hung, but I don't remember the whole way he got out of being hung. But basically, he was the Clint Eastwood character uh, from... Uh, High Plains Drifter with the uh, rope burn around his neck. And he was a gunslinger, because, of course, I'm a basic white bitch, and I play fighter no matter, you know, what system we're in. Uh, there's no real traditional sword and board fighter in Deadlands, because it's the old west, so you're a gunslinger. And, you know, he was this evil, disgraced cavalry man uh, that carried a Winchester repeating rifle, and the party that we played with wasn't crazy about having him uh, with them for obvious reasons, because he drew a lot of uh, attention, unwanted attention, when they were in town. But, you know, uh, over a decade, probably close to two decades before Liam Neeson, he had a particular set of skills. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they sort of put up with him. Uh, Deadlands was fun because much like your Seven Wonders, it worked off of a playing card deck for most of the draws. Uh, as well as just out-and-out out poker. You actually played hands of poker for different mechanics, which was kind of fun. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. Unfortunately, we didn't get all that deep into it because I pretty much was the only person that enjoyed it, and Deadlands was sort of our creature stalker. We had our primary D&D uh, &D campaign going on, and Deadlands is what we played as sort of a breather, uh, but we ended up going back into D&D after, I don't know, five, six, seven sessions. It wasn't a whole hell of a very long that we played Deadlands, but I really enjoyed it. That's awesome. But it was just basically, I want to play an evil character. Let's come up with a story for it. Oh, we're in the Old West. Oh, let's play the Indian Wars. And, you know, then you sit across the table from the rest of your gaming group, and they're like, dude, you're fucked up. Like, is everything good at home? <laughs> it's like, no, 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 I'm playing a character. <laughs> like, it's okay. That's so good. Uh, I also brought a different game system today, um, and I wanted to just kind of shamelessly plug this this game system because um, I, I, some really wonderful ladies uh, put this together. They did 100% of the work in this, but we, we did come up with the initial, like, the idea that sparked this amazing game system uh, happened on my couch. So I'm very happy with, uh, with this game. I absolutely love it. And uh, it is part of the Powered by the Apocalypse system. Now, Mark, I don't know if you've ever played any of these systems, have you? I have not played it, but I am slightly familiar with it. I have heard of it before. Yeah. Uh, the, the system is a, based on the original game Apocalypse World. And the entire system, unlike 5th edition that we've talked a lot about D&D, uh, it's not a D20 game, it's uh, it, it's an apocalypse game, and that means that the only dice you ever roll are 2D6, two six-sided die. It's like Risk, but less complicated. <laughs> well, potentially. Um, but games in that system are like uh, Apocalypse World, Dungeon World, Urban Shadows, and this, which now exists and is amazing... Uh, so the backstory here is that game that we played that weekend that we played that birthed, you know, Mark One Rabbit. Uh, we decided that we wanted to keep playing games together, 
and we decided we wanted to play, uh, I mean, we're all big fans of anime, and we wanted to play an anime RPG. And we looked online, we couldn't find one that really matched our, you know, what we were looking for. We wanted to play anime high schoolers and have superpowers and save the world at night. And the whole point premise of the game is that we wanted to be in class and we wanted to be classmates and then we wanted to save the world and then, you know, we wanted to be able to have like a prom scene and a scene in a beach episode. So my friends were like, that's a really great idea. And we spitballed for like three hours. And then like a year later, uh, they put out a Kickstarter and published this amazing game, which is called Super Destiny High School Rumble. Gesundheit. Yeah, it's a great game. Uh, and the idea of the game is you are high schoolers. You each have some sort of uh, superpower or skill and you are fighting a boss who has lieutenants, and, and there's a story around it. So uh, I haven't seen any other game system that does this, but in Super Destiny, you don't build a character with one class, you build it with two. Okay. So you pick your student class, and that student class has its gives you a base set of stats and has a couple of what are called moves, which might be known as feats, in other systems, and then you pick your destiny class, which is like your super class. Uh, and they, I remember sitting on my couch and we were we were kind of spitballing like, what are types of characters that you would want to make? And we were thinking like Naruto from Naruto or Ichigo from Bleach or uh, what's his face from Cowboy Bebop uh, or you know main character of Trigun or uh, you know what about like the the hosts and host club or what about Tori from fruits fruits basket so we we came up with like a billion archetypes and then they came up with 10 student classes and 10 destiny classes and when they were designing the system they know that i like to generally play like smaller characters uh rabbit happens to be a gnome and they know i generally like to play like younger characters like like you know kids or teenagers or or young adults. Um, so they designed a student class called The Adorable. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I uh, I made a character to help them beta test this game, and this game is still going. We meet every few months and we play another session of it. So I designed Yuki, uh, and Yuki is a uh, young high school girl who comes from a very traditional um, Japanese family, and uh, her family has like a bloodline power of summoning otherworldly creatures. So my destiny class is the creature summoner, and the idea of creature summoner is it's based on like anime, like Digimon, Pokemon, Monster Hunter, you know things like that. Monster Rancher, Monster Rancher. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get tweeted. Yeah, um, I was gonna say you were gonna try to get a suit tonight. Yeah, yeah, goal. right. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I picked for Yuki. I picked the adorable, and I picked creature summoner. Right. So as an adorable, her moves are uh, portable, uh, which means I I uh, can fit in unlikely places, and I can be easily carried by average sized people. And uh, when I'm being carried, I I give forward. 
uh, the ability to um, increase their react fast rolls. And I also picked inspire loyalty, uh, which means uh, put on your most innocent face and roll plus charm to recruit somebody to your side. Really great stuff here. Uh, the adorable does have a move that I haven't taken uh, called Wibbles. Uh, if you are crying, any creature uh, that is moved by emotion does minus one harm to you. So. That is literally rabbit, like <laughs> yeah. at least our rabbit anyway. That yeah. is that is literally him do a D. So you have to imagine that they created this class right after we had just played a game with Mark One Rabbit. So the adorable is mostly rabbit. Uh, and then Creature Summoner, uh, there's some really interesting stuff. Like, I've got, um, uh, I can multi-summon. I've got something called Trap Card. I can do a Paragon Summon where I fuse with my my creature. Uh, and the nice part about creating a character in something like an Apocalypse system is it's not quite like D&D. You don't have to fill out all the RP stuff and then all of the special stats, right? D&D has... Or is it strength, dex, int, whiz, con, and charisma? And every class needs a different balance to be good. And it's it's all like there's a lot of math with a d six with a two d six system like powered by the apocalypse and specifically super destiny. Um, it it's a little bit easier to get started and it's a lot more story oriented. You know, a lot of the skills are more like. Uh, well, I want to do this thing. And then your DM or, or game master will say, hey, uh, okay, well, roll this and let's see how well you do. So uh, if anybody's unsure about getting into role-playing and wants to kind of experiment with a system that's a little bit rules lighter than D&D, I definitely recommend any of the Powered by Apocalypse games, um, specifically because, like, as Mark knows, uh, like base D and D has three full rule books before you can get like a full <laughs> grasp of the rules, and then there's rule all book the errata for yeah. those three full rule books. You know, like my my the class I play as Rabbit doesn't even come into the game until a nope. book that was released like a year ago. That is a completely different realm from normal D and D, like. Conservatively, there is something like twenty-five or twenty-six hundred pages, just to cover pretty much, while not quite the basic basics, pretty much the general lay of D and D. It's it's yeah. a really layered game. Yeah, and so you know, uh, coming back to our original point, right? Because we want to definitely educate uh, our fans as much as possible. If you're looking to get into D&D, you want to experiment with dungeon mastering or you want to design your first character, take a look at pre-built modules in D&D. Because Dungeons & Dragons is the most popular uh, tabletop RPG game out there. I know Pathfinder's picking up a lot, but come on, D&D's been around forever. Um, And all Pathfinder is is D&D 3.5. You can't change my mind. Yeah. Um, but take a look at those pre-built campaigns, right? There are, you don't have to invent your own world. You don't have to create a character with 20 pages of backstory. You can create a silly 60-year-old grandmother who uh, is retired from school teaching and is on the uh, motivational speaking circuit, and then you can figure out the rest of it as you go. 
Yeah, and I mean, if you have any of the rule books, whether it be for D&D or whether it be for any other tabletop game, if you, whether they be PDFs or whether you have the physical hard copies, just page through them. Look at classes you like, look at abilities you like, and try to think about how you can build a character around X, something that you want to play. Because if you want to play something, uh, you'll be more inclined to do it. I mean, I know most rule books, uh, the D&D ones, for example, do it. The Deadlands ones, I know, did it. And it's a little bit vaguer, but they did it. They give you archetypes. Oh, yeah. Oh, you want to play this? Okay, well, roll this, roll this, and pick this as your backstory. Boom, go. Here, you can play test it, and you can see if you like it. Um, so, you know, you don't have to sit and come up with all these, you know, gut-wrenching emotional things like DJ and I do. I mean, we're we're to that absolute oomph extreme. I mean, we've taken it up to 11. <laughs> yeah, we are experienced role players. Please don't immediately start with a rabbit or lefty because, uh, I mean, hell, I don't think rabbit would even be fun to play for everybody. So No, and, and lefty, while fun to role play, sucks in combat. That's why I, you know, finally decided to get rid of him. I mean, he was so much fun to sit around and have a conversation and torment the rest of our party. But when battle started, he was effective, but it was boring. It was the same three moves. He was the whole Kogan of the D&D world. He had three moves of doom, and that was it. Yeah, I, I, like, to, I, I like to coin the phrase that you start out playing some sort of melee fighter and you end up playing a caster because you just want to be able to do more things. Nah, you end up being a magician, see? Nah. <laughs> oh, Callaway. But yeah, um, I mean, the last thing I want to leave all of our fans with, and I think Mark 100% agrees with this, don't sleep on rangers. Oh my God. Yeah, I don't understand the ranger hate. Yeah, I'm not... That's a whole nother episode we can get into. I'm just going to say that. I don't understand it. Don't sleep on rangers. I know that'll, that people will try to turn you off of playing a ranger. Rangers are OP as hell, and if people tell you that rangers are weak and terrible, they clearly do not know what they're talking about. Yeah, just you, you don't need those type of people in your life. Yeah, get new friends. Yeah. So I think that brings us to the end of character creation. Part one in our amazing series of tabletop RPG things. I think we've run a little bit long today, but it's a topic near and dear to our hearts. So Well, we've run a little bit long today, but I think depending on uh, how many edits you make uh, when you edit this before it goes live, we will have passed... 20 recorded hours. That's amazing. For the Witten Whiskey. So well done, brother. Well done. Congratulations, my friend. And of course, uh, thank you so much for sticking around with us to all of our, uh, you know, two fans. Uh, we really appreciate all of you. And, I and think we've doubled. I think we're at four now. I think we might be at four. <laughs> I, I'm always happy to hear when uh, when people like the show or, or what people think. And of course, we uh, you know we just want to let people know if you uh, if you like us, feel free to share with your friends. We don't do any any sort of advertising or monetizing as of yet. So no. Um, we have not sold out yet, no, keyword in that phrase. No, uh, so you know, maybe uh, let your friends know. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we've got a few apps on, up on Podbean. Uh, we are, of course, on our website at thewittenwhiskeycast.com. Uh, if you want to shout out and tell us to shut up about D&D or recommend some <laughs> whiskeys or uh, recommend some topics that you want to hear us wax uh, more or less eloquently about, 
Uh, feel free to hit us up at thewitandwhiskeycast at gmail.com. Of course, there is an H in whiskey and uh, no H in wit and an E in whiskey. Uh, uh, spell it out. You that joke us, will work eventually. Yeah, you, you found us somehow, so I'm sure you can, you can figure that part out. Yeah, um, if you if you do Google Wit and Whiskey, the various ways that you spell it, we are, uh, I don't necessarily know if we're the number one, I haven't checked in a while, but we are one of the top three results you get. So. Yeah, it's, uh, you should be able to find us. Front page of Google, folks. Um, of course, we want to thank Nuno Henry Silva for intro and outro music. Hell uh, yes. Yeah, uh, we love you, buddy. Uh, we're going to send you to his SoundCloud and our show notes. And uh, look forward to hearing from him directly this season. Uh, I, we're going to have him on a guest and uh the, the next probably the next month or so i would imagine yes uh what are we going to talk about next uh next week buddy well you know uh this is going to be fun because we haven't discussed this uh prior so the audience is going to get your live reaction here but uh, since we won't be recording sunday because i won't be sober <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll have to record monday but you know what sunday is don't you no Sunday is the Super Bowl. Or I'm sorry, the big game. I don't want to get oh, sued. Oh, yeah, the game with all the football. Um, so, you know, we have threatened our listeners with a sports ball episode. Oh, good. This Mark might be the time to do football, one. And I can just be astounded the entire episode. Um, I, I could explain football and hockey and Google basketball because I know nothing about basketball. I will make a lot of sports. Uh, uh, what's that movie, Space Jam? I'm going to make a lot of Space Jam references. So we, we could do that next week. It, it could be comical. It's uh, certainly not going to be good. I don't promise it's going to be good. I think that would be fun. Uh, you can hear me struggle through understanding anything relevant pre-early 90s about sports. Uh, I assume Drew Bledsoe is not still playing football. No, but see, again, you know, you had mentioned this to me once before. I, I don't think it was when we were recording, but you know more than 99% of all Patriots fans because you know who Drew Bledsoe is. So That's fair. I basically know Drew Bledsoe and about half the basketball players who were in Space Jam. That's half more than I know, so and there you go. Babe Ruth? Yes, he's more than a candy bar. Yes. <laughs> I've been to Fenway once. I can all tell right. that story next week. Good. All right. So join us next week for sports ball and whiskey. (laughs) And thank you, of course, for listening. Uh, Like, comment, subscribe all you want. Uh, You know, that definitely helps us get up in the charts. But until next week, cheers. Salud.